morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day to our mothers. I would invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the book of First Peter. We're going to be in First Peter chapter two, continuing our study of the book of First Peter. Now, as you're turning there, just a little orientation on where we are and uh, a note on the text that we will be reading. Within the letter of First Peter, we are in a section about how we testify to the truth of the gospel, how it has changed our lives within the midst of the social order that exists. And so last week we talked about how we are to interact as Christians with the governmental order that is over us. Next week, we'll talk about how we testify of the gospel in the social order of our families. But this week, as we look at verses 18 through 25 of 1 Peter chapter 2, we will look at the economic order. How it is that we are to testify of the truth of the gospel in our own lives as we submit to the economic authorities that are over us. Now, a note on how we will address this text. As you see, the first word in verse 18 of chapter 2 is servants. We're talking about, within the context of this verse and the time in which it was written, the relationship between servants and masters. But to understand this dynamic, we have to understand how we apply it to the 21st century. For a servant in first century Roman society doesn't have a direct parallel to modern society. However, commentator and theologian Wayne Grudem, along with several other commentators, take this position. He says, the fact that this was by far the most common kind of employee-employer relationship in the ancient world, and that it encompassed a broad range of degrees of functional and economic freedom means that the application of Peter's directive to employees today is a very appropriate one. In summary, that means that we may rightly apply the principles of the servant-master relationship in the first century to the employee-employer relationship today. And so that is how we will approach this text this morning, understanding that these principles of economic authority and submission, while written in the first century, truly apply to us in the 21st century. So hear now the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 2, verse 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, 
but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. This is God's holy word for us His people. Let us go to Him now in prayer. Father God, we come to You now at this time. And we ask, O Lord, that as the shepherd and overseer of our souls, that You would lead us in good ways. And that as we come to Your Word, that just as the Lord Jesus promised, My sheep hear My voice. We pray that we would hear Your voice, Lord Jesus, this day as we come to Your Word. We pray it in Your holy name. Amen. How do you take the cross to work? That is, how are we to express our Christian faith in a workplace environment? In 2006, Nadia Awede was placed on unpaid leave from her job at British Airways because she refused to cover up her cross necklace. She had literally brought her cross to work and was fired. She explained that her cross was important to wear because it was an expression of her faith in which other people would see and know that Jesus loves. Expressions of our Christian faith are becoming more and more restricted in the workplace. Walter Tutka, a substitute teacher in New Jersey, was fired for giving a middle school student a Gideon New Testament after the student told him he didn't have a Bible at home to read and would like one. Universities and corporations are sidestepping religious freedom by enacting anti-harassment policies that label Christian expressions as threatening to non-Christian students or employees. And so the question of how we are to represent our Christian faith in the workplace environment is increasingly more difficult to navigate. Now, I think that most, most of us understand that our employers have the right to insist upon certain behavior and to restrict other behaviors within the workplace. They have a right to insist that an employee's full attention be given to their job and not to proselytizing their co-workers or clients. As an employee, you have been hired to do a certain job and anything that distracts you from that job may be rightly regulated. And so, how are we to be both faithful employees and faithful Christians at work? How are we to share our faith without undermining our supervisors or our employers' authority to run the business as they see fit and to submit to their authority even as this passage calls us to do? In our passage for this morning, we come to a section of 1 Peter in which Peter explains the Christian's call to submission in the realm of economic authority. And in these verses, we will see what it looks like to submit as a Christian within our working environments. What we will see is that Peter calls us to take the cross to work 
by being patterned on and empowered by the cross. That is, if you would represent and express your faith in the workplace, you are called to follow Christ's example according to Christ's power. The first thing that we see in our text is that if we are to express our Christian faith at work, we must begin by fleeing sin according to Christ's example and by Christ's power. As Peter develops his thought in these verses, he explains that as Christians who are under economic authority, we must submit both to the just and the unjust, being mindful of God. Look at verses 18 through 19. There we read, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. There seems to be a constant struggle between employers and employees, for it is difficult when our financial well-being is at stake to tolerate unjust treatment, or on the other hand, as an employer, to tolerate inept and lazy labor. And so there's a struggle that continues between these two parties. And it's within the midst of this real-world conflict that Peter addresses how we work as Christians. He says in verse 20, What credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? Or maybe in our modern context, when you misbehave at work and you are given a warning, or you are punished, what good is that before the Lord? For to represent our Christian faith in the workplace, we must flee from sin. I think it is so easy to separate our work lives from other spheres of our day. We think we have the right to live by a different set of rules so that we might fit into the culture of the office or the work site. And so we leave behind the command that we are to be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. We section off work as a place to go to get along with those who we must work alongside. And in doing so, we give ourselves over to any number of sins. We allow our mouths to speak gossip in the workplace. We undermine our supervisors and our employers. We can so easily give in to the negativity and the bad-mouthing that so often defines a workplace. We might have the freedom to wear a cross at work without getting in trouble, but the question is, do our lives tell a much different testimony than the testimony of the cross itself? For Peter says in verses 21 through 22, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Right? An example. So that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. In our workplaces, we are called to flee from sin through the example that Christ has left for us. For the text says that He has left us an example that we might follow in His steps. 
if we would follow Christ, then we must take very seriously the example that He has given us. For He committed no sin. And the text says that no deceit was found in His mouth. Never is sin the path that we are called to follow. Never is it okay to compromise. And in particular, never is it permitted to use our mouths to speak sinful words within the context of our work. Do you want to bring the cross to work with you? Don't begin with outward adornments like necklaces and Scripture wall decorations. Those aren't bad things. But if you would represent your Christian faith at work, flee from sin. Look to the example that Christ left for us and walk according to the example that He has laid before us. However, Peter knows that we sinners need more than just an example. For we need both Christ's pattern for life but also His power. And so, Peter explains in verse 24, if you look there, He Himself, that is Christ, bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin. You see, the only way for us to live as Christians at work is through the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. For we cannot pursue holiness until we come to know the forgiving and the freeing power of the cross. We now have the power to flee sin because on the cross Jesus took our sin. He bore the curse of death that our sins deserve. He poured out His blood that sin might no longer rule over us. Or as Peter says, that we might die to sin. Forgiveness and salvation are not granted to those who are holy. Rather, the gospel is that by the blood of Jesus, sinners are forgiven of sin and freed from the power of sin. And if you would represent this gospel of free grace at work, then you need to live as one who has been freed from sin's power. Not as a representative of perfection, but rather as a representative of forgiveness and submission. For you bring the cross to work by fleeing sin according to the pattern and according to the power of the cross. So, first, if we would bring the cross to work, we must flee sin. The next thing is that if we would bring the cross to work, we must pursue what is good. Look at the second half of verse 20. There Peter says, But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Whether you are in a situation with a super boss that encourages and rewards the good, or you are in a situation where you have to endure hardship and tension for doing what is right, you are still called to pursue what is good at work. What does this mean? Well, it means that your goal and your motivation at work is aimed towards that which is good and pleasing to the Lord. Paul in Ephesians 6 
addresses this relationship of master and servant with these words. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Pursuing the good at work means working as unto the Lord. Laboring in a way that shows that ultimately you are under the authority of Christ and not your boss. So what does that mean as an engineer or a nurse? What does it mean to pursue the good as a waiter or a teacher or a craftsman or one who is in a trade? What does it mean in the workplace when you find yourself doing work that is difficult to find purpose in that you are called to do good? Peter gives us the pattern that we are to follow in Christ. He says in verse 23, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. What did he do? What did he say? The Gospel of Luke tells us that while he was on the cross, while he was suffering, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How did Jesus pursue the good in the midst of suffering? He looked not to His own needs, but saw the cross as the path to bringing many to forgiveness and salvation. The Lord Jesus chose His work not based on what would be most beneficial to Himself and His own well-being, but rather chose to do what would bring salvation to the world. Now surely in our work, we should be fairly compensated. For we need to work to provide for ourselves and for our families. But pursuing the good at work in such a way that is patterned after the work of Christ must be aimed at something more than earning money and personal achievement and ambition. High school students and college students, those of you who have just graduated, When you think about your future career and the work that you are about to embark upon, don't ask primarily, what will be good for me? What will lend itself to the lifestyle I want to lead? How can I make the most money? But rather look at this broken world and ask yourself, how might I pursue the good of this world after the example and pattern of my Lord? How might I see brokenness healed? How might I see ignorance dispelled? How might God use the talents and giftings that He has given to me for the good of others and the advancement of His kingdom? On this Mother's Day, how can we not be reminded of the sacrifices of the work of our mothers that they make for our good? Now, It might really be stretching it to say that mothers are servants and children are the masters. Although at times I'm sure it feels that way. But the nobility and the high call of motherhood is displayed in its cross-shaped life of pursuing the good of others. Even when it means your own hardship and suffering. 
And this is the cross-shaped pattern of life that Christ has called His people to follow. To take up their cross daily and to follow Him. But I think that so often we misunderstand the point of this call to take up our cross daily and follow Him. Because we think that the purpose of the cross is pain and suffering. But the point is not pain. The point of taking up your cross is not that you would suffer. The point is that you might work for the good of others even as Christ did. The reason for the cross was the salvation of many souls. And when Christ calls you to take up your cross, it's not primarily about your suffering. It is primarily about your work to pursue the good, even if that means you must suffer. And it is this work of good that we have been empowered for through the cross. For we read in verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin, that we might flee from sin, and what? And that we might live to righteousness. The power of the cross is that we have been freed from the self-centered way of pursuing economic well-being in this life. Of pursuing work for our own good alone. Fleeing from the self-centered sin of grabbing everything we can in this world for ourselves and living unto righteousness. For by His wounds, you have been healed. Christ's work on the cross has freed us from sin and it has launched us into a life of righteousness. For we have no power to enact good in our families, in our communities, or in our workplaces without the power of Christ. And just as we have been freed from the power of sin, we have also been empowered by the Holy Spirit to work for the good of this world. How do you bring the cross to work? By pursuing good according to the pattern and the power of the cross. So how are we to work as Christians? By the pattern and the power of the cross, we flee sin, we pursue the good, and finally, we trust God for the results. This is the pattern of the cross, and this is the power of the cross, that we can trust God for the outcome of our work. When our earthly employers do not reward or recognize or even punish our fleeing from sin and our pursuing of good, ultimately we entrust the results of our work to the Lord. So we read in verse 20 that if we do good and suffer for it, we endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And this is the pattern of the cross. For in verse 24 we read, When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. It's our natural tendency when we are threatened, when we are taken advantage of, when we are treated unjustly to revile and to threaten and to return, to protect ourselves. We want to make a defense. So we get the lawyer. We spread the rumor. We will protect ourselves to force a positive outcome in our favor. 
But if we would follow the pattern of the cross, we must be willing to work before the eyes of God and trusting ourselves to Him. For Christ submitted Himself unto the point of death, even death on a cross, and therefore God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name. This is why Peter says later on in chapter 5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the almighty hand of God, so that the proper time He might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Jesus humbled Himself, and He trusted His Father to exalt Him at the proper time. So how might we live after the example of Christ? How might we live so our lives at work may be an example to our co-workers and to our employers of the cross? By likewise entrusting the outcome of our work to the Lord. For ultimately, it is the Lord who takes care of us. In the best situations, an employer should seek to bless his employees. They should seek to see them well compensated and from the fruit of their labors receive a just reward for their work. Yet ultimately, it is the Lord to whom we must look for our care. For as verse 25 says, For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. This is how we bring the cross to work. We trust Jesus Christ as the good shepherd. We trust Him as the one who will care for us. We trust Him as the one who will provide for us. The one who will give us a just reward for the work that we render unto Him. For we trust the Lord as our shepherd, knowing that by His care we shall not want, but we will be led by still waters. And that we will lie down in green pastures. And so in a culture that is increasingly hostile to the gospel, how do you plan to bring the cross to work with you? Will you do it with a display of jewelry? Will you do it by carrying your Bible around as a token and an emblem of your Christian faith? Will you do it with bumper stickers? Will you do it with t-shirts? Or will you do it with a life that is patterned and empowered by the cross? A life that is shaped by the cross, trusting in God to provide all that you need. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. For the gospel has not been proclaimed and evangelism has not occurred until the truth of the gospel promises have actually been spoken. There has to be an articulation of the truth that all people are sinners born in enmity with God. And that to bring an end to this division, God became man and lived among us. That He went to the cross and poured out His blood to cover our sins and to die in our place. There must be a proclamation that He rose from the dead and to open up to whosoever would come to Him in faith, forgiveness of sins and eternal life. We must not allow faithful gospel-centered living to be confused with faithful gospel-centered evangelism and proclamation. However, the two must come together in our lives. Just as Peter brings them together in our passage for this morning. For we must live out our faith. 
But we must also proclaim our faith. We must bring the cross to work by fleeing sin, pursuing the good and trusting God. And yet we must share the cross because by it alone we have the power to flee from sin, to live the good, and to have confidence that through faith in Jesus Christ alone we will truly share in the eternal reward of His work. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to Him now in prayer. Father God, we come to You now. Lord, and we... Lord, are so thankful that You have called us into the workplace. That you have called us as Christians to go forth into this world to be salt, to be light. And through the pattern of our cross-shaped lives, to see good go forth in this world. We pray, O God, that you would empower us. Empower those who are here, Lord, whatever workplace they find themselves in, to flee from sin, to flee from evil, to pursue what is good, and to trust You alone for the outcome. We pray, O God, for those who struggle at work. We ask them that You would give them long-suffering and patience and endurance. We pray, Lord, for those who have work, Lord, but it is tedious and it is hard. We pray that they would continue to be a picture of the Gospel in their workplace. Father, we pray for those who are without work. We ask that You would provide for them opportunities to go forth into this community and be examples of Christ. And we pray ultimately, Lord Jesus, that we would look to Your work alone. We would look to the power that You have given to us by breaking sins hold on us by releasing us to do good that we might look to you alone lord jesus in your work for our ultimate good we pray this in your holy name amen